Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast, and thanks for joining us for this episode. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode. As Pastor was talking, I thought it was pretty interesting thinking back to Adventure Camp last year. Um, I'm not even sure he's aware of it or not, but we had one of the kids that came through here had a choice between either going to a playoff game or going to Adventure Camp. It's a pretty big decision as a kid. And I'm just thankful that he made that decision and look forward to what God's going to do through Adventure Camp this coming year. I'm, I'm really thrilled to be here tonight. I um, feel like God's been really working on me this past week. And as pastor said, hey, I'm going to be stepping away. Pastor and Sheila are going to be stepping away. Um, I'd like you to either be Sunday night or Wednesday. And first thing that came to my mind is, well, there's going to be fewer people Wednesday. <laughs> but uh, I guess Sunday night's the one. <laughs> uh, but no, I'm really, really looking forward to this time together. Um, before we get started, let's just open up in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for once again allowing us to come here at this building as a body of believers just to study your word and to find what you would have for our, our lives. As we look out at these crazy times that we live in, there's uncertainty, there's doubt, there's, there's so much allure to, to grab our attention, um, especially even tonight. Um, I just ask that you set that all aside and help us take this time to really dive into your word. I just ask that you soften our hearts to your word and we would not be hardened, and just help us to, to understand. I ask that you be with me. Help me to speak clearly in a way that would clear, open up your word, um, what you've placed on my heart. And if there's anything that is, shouldn't be said, I ask that you just hold me back from saying that. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be in the book of Acts. And before we get to Acts 17, is where we'll really be starting off at, I want to give a little bit of a historical background to Acts. If we had time, honestly, we could go back to start kind of in Acts 15. That's kind of where Paul's missionary trip starts out, the second missionary trip that Paul had. But for the sake of time, um, I just kind of want to do an overview Guys, if you could, there's a map of Paul's secondary missionary trip you could put up there. The background of chapter 16 can be seen on, on this map, which lays out Paul's secondary, second missionary trip through the Mediterranean. The trip starts out in Jerusalem, where Paul and Barna, Barnabas go before the elders of the church to make the case that to become a follower of Jesus Christ, it was not necessary to be circumcised and to keep the law of Moses. This issue was brought up by the Pharisees, who were in essence lawyers who dug through every point of the law. And it's not that much different. 
even today, you've got is salvation through faith or is it by works? Even today, religions are still trying to figure that out. In Acts 15, it says, But there arose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise and then command them to keep the law of Moses. So you've got that, that contention between the Jews and the Gentiles. Jews are saying, hey, they got to conform. Gentiles are saying, hey, I thought we had freedom in Christ. What is, what, where are we going to go with this? So Paul goes up to Jerusalem. That's kind of that first step. And they have a Jerusalem council where they're, they're laying out the case. Is, is, it, is it by faith, like the Gentiles? Is it by the law? Where is it going to be at? After reasoning with the elders, it was decided to, based off Scripture, that man was no longer under the law but under the grace of God, and men were sent out on their missionary gospel journey to the Gentiles carrying this letter from Jerusalem. In Acts 15, 24 to 29, For as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words, that's referring back to those Pharisees that were saying, hey, it's, it's, it's the legal law is still in place, subverting your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we have no such commandment. It seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men that have hazarded their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even Paul and Barnabas, their testimony has preceded them. They've hazarded their lives for Christ. We have sent, therefore, Judas and Silas, who shall also tell you the same things by mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that ye abstain from meats offered to idols, and from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication. Those four things is what the Jewish council is going to, in a letter, say, keep these four things by God's grace. For which, if you keep yourselves, ye shall do well. Fare ye well. So after, after this Jerusalem council, Paul and Barnabas go up into Antioch. So go out of Jerusalem, up into Antioch, and deliver the message in the form of a letter from the Jerusalem meeting to the Gentiles. And after a disagreement, I'm talking about John Mark. Yes, that's the same author who wrote the book of Mark. With him on the journey, Paul separates from Barnabas and Silas with him on the rest of the trip, while Barnabas and John go to the island of Cyprus. And it's, it's, I don't know if it's relevant or not, but after um, John Mark and Barnabas go into Cyprus, they're never mentioned again in Acts. So they do show up in other books, but for the, at least for Acts, it's, that case is kind of done. If we continue to focus on Paul's trip, there are several more stops worth noting. If you continue up, that's kind of hard to read. I'm sorry about that. Um, if you continue on up into Lystra, that's where Paul is going to meet with Timothy. And it's really interesting. Timothy's reputation precedes him as well. Then came he to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy or Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess and believed. But his father was a Greek, which was well reported of by the brothers that were at Lystra and Iconium. That's in Acts chapter 16, right at the beginning. As, we, as they proceed on, they go into Trous, and that is where Paul has a vision of a mean man pleading with Paul to come and help. 
That's also typically referred to as the Macedonian call. Then came he to Derby and Lystra. This is, this is in Acts 16 as well. Um, sorry. Yes, Acts 16.9. And he had a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and praying him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. In the Macedonian call that when you hear the word Macedonia, that's referring to the area to your left of the kind of that peninsula of water that goes up. Anything to the left of that, it's considered kind of Macedonian area. And that's where you're going to get Philippi and Thessalonica. And does Paul wait and wait and wait? No. Immediately. It says immediately he gets up and goes. Even Paul is subject, he subjected himself, whatever God wants, hey, I'll do it. In Philippi, Lydia, the seller of purple fabric, who worshipped God, became the first recorded convert in Europe. She and her whole household was baptized. Acts 16, 14, and a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatria, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, and she attended unto the things which were spoken of of Paul. In Philippi also, you have Paul and Silas in jail. Any kids remember that story? Paul and Silas in jail, singing in the jail. That's where that happened in Philippi. The reason they were thrown in jail is they saw a girl that had the spirit of divination, an evil spirit within her, and they cast it out, and it must have been a moneymaker for the town because they all came together and threw Paul and Silas into jail. They didn't want that freedom for that little girl. After that, the jailer, there was an earthquake in the jail, and the jailer and his whole family was saved there. So once again, God was working. This a little bit reminds me of um, the woman who loses her coins and then finds it. Jesus' follow-up statement can be found in Luke 15, 8. It says, Either what woman having ten pieces of silver, if she loses one, doth light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligent, will she still find it? And the following verse to that is, There will be rejoicing in heaven on that one being saved. That's, that's kind of how I see Lydia, that there was salvation there. God was working again. As Paul and Silas arrive in Thessalonica, continuing that Macedonian call, hey, come over, as was Paul's custom in Acts 17.10, this is really where we'll, we'll start into Acts, um, as Paul and his manner was went into unto them, and three Sabbaths day reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. Acts 17.2, he went into the Jewish synagogue and reasoned with the Jews and gave them the good news of Christ their Savior. Some of the Jews became devout believers, as well as a great multitude of Greek Greeks, which would also be known as the Gentiles, non-Jewish. The Jews who had not converted moved with envy, began to stir up city against, these, against the, the men. As I really enjoyed this... Um, Going, going through Bible college has forced me into different Bible softwares and stuff like that. And it's really fascinating to see the different words. You can grab a word and you can say, hey, where's this at in Scripture? And one of the words that I looked up was this envy. And if you go into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and look up envy, the only other place it's used is in relation to Jesus at his trial. Um, Matthew 27, 17 to 20, it says, Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, 
Whom will ye that I release unto you? Barabbas or Jesus, which is Christ. So once a year, at Passover, they had the option of releasing a criminal. For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. He knew it. A Gentile knew the Jews had given up Jesus because of envy. For he, when he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with this just man? Pilate's wife recognized man, Jesus as just, saying, For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him, but the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. So that envy, that just within man. It'd be nice if that was only back then, right? It's still happening today, unfortunately. The crowd accused them of turning the world upside down. In Acts 17.6, And when they found them, they drew Jason and certain brothers into the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. Can you imagine if our church starts getting persecuted? Very, very likely in our lifetime. But if we're dragged before a judge, and the accuser says, This man, or this woman, he's turning Kettering upside down with this preaching, this... This gospel message of Christ, that's a, that's a pretty good statement. That's a pretty good testimony. After ba- paying a bail for a Christian named Jason, which would be kind of the main Christian in that area, and others, they, went, they were sent away by the Christians by night to Berea, which was about 40 miles to the west of Thessalonica. Kids, some of you have been down to Cincinnati. That's about the distance between our church and Cincinnati. So... About an hour drive, that's kind of the distance that they sent them away. They were sent away into Berea. Paul, not learning his the first time, once again went where? Always. He always went to the Jews first to share the gospel with the Jews. Thankfully, the Jews of Berea were more noble and instead of envy, responded with wisdom. In Acts 17.11 these were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. By the grace of God, many Jews were saved as well as the Greeks, but Paul was once again escorted out of town by the believers to the sea after the Thessalonica Jews came to Berea to stir up the city against them. So you got the Jews from Thessalonica traveling a long way in that time, an hour what we would think of as an hour of driving, they came to Berea and said, hey, they're preaching here as well. Get them out of here. And that is ultimately what leads Paul to go to Athens. Paul does leave Silas and Timothy in Berea, but Paul sailed over 200 miles to the town of Athens. Once again, for just kind of for distance, to think about distance, which of you kids enjoy walking? Raise your hand, several of you. How would you like to walk 88 hours? <laughs> it's a little bit different, isn't it? <laughs> but Paul actually took a boat down there, so he didn't walk, but it, it kind of helps you put it in perspective. That'd be basically taking 11 days walking, nonstop, never stopping. Great, 11 days. So now that we kind of have an understanding of the background of the missionary trip, this be so, uh, the second missionary trip. Let's go ahead and open up our Bibles to Acts 17. And if you could, go ahead and stand up there. 
stretch your legs. <laughs> We're going to start in Acts 17, 13 to 34. But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul at Berea, they came thither also and stirred up the people. And then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go, as it were, to the sea. But Silas and Timotheus, or Timothy, abode there still. And they that conducted Paul brought him into, unto Athens, and receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus, for to come to him with all speed, they departed. So Silas and Timothy are still back in Berea. Paul said, hey, bring them down, bring them down, get them out of there. Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore disputed he, or another word for disputed is like a reasoning, a reason he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the marketplace daily with them that met with him. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him and some said, What with will this babbler say? Others some, He seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him unto Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is. For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know, therefore, what these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear something new. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotion, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship him, declare I unto you. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is the Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in the temple made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all and all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bonds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord." if haply that they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far off from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said so. For we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought to not think that the Godhead is likened to gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device, in the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth all men after where to repent. Because he hath appointed a day, in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. And when they heard of, they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Others said, we will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them. Howbeit, certain men clave unto him and believed. Among 
the which was Dionysus the Arabagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. So you may be seated. As we examine this passage of scripture, I would like to propose that to be ready for the coming harvest, which we've all been praying about, we are to have a burden for the unsaved, we should be ready to proclaim Christ, and we should praise God for the harvest, no matter the size. Honestly, nothing I'm going to say is going to surprise most older Christians here. But I think it's important to see the vision for the unsaved through the eyes of Paul, and that's kind of what we're going to do tonight. In Acts 17, 16 to 17, we have Paul waiting for Silas and uh, Barnabas. Uh, sorry, Silas and Timothy. He's looking around to Athens, and the Bible, and the Bible states that his spirit was stirred in him when he saw that the city was full of idols. Just for reference purposes, Athens was the political and intellectual capital of the region. And in modern terms, I would compare it to Washington, D.C. Um, hear me out on this one. <laughs> the, I guess what I'm trying to say is, if you were wanting to go into politics, Athens was the place. Just like in America, if you want to go into politics, you don't think of Kettering, typically. You think of Washington, D.C. That's kind of that, that same comparison there. But notice Paul's response. He wasn't influenced by the city and the history and the power of Athens. So Athens at this time is in a decline politically. There, but there's still all the idols. There's that pomp and circumstance, that, that kind of that majesticness of Athens, just like you kind of have in Washington, D.C. today. When I opened up the software I used for Bible study, I was able to pull up the Greek definition of stirred as it is used in this verse. The definition is to sharpen, to spur on, stimulate, to provoke, and rouse to anger. That's the idea of stirring. Um, a little bit. As I was thinking back to my childhood, uh, we had a, a big old... One, we had five ministers at our church. They sat behind this big, long table, had a drawer in the back. And for some reason, they had smelling salts in there. And I don't know if anybody has ever smelled smelling salts, but as a kid, I remember playing with that. You would put it underneath your friend's nose, and you would just watch them respond. It was just, it was involuntary, everything they could do to get away from that smell. And that's kind of the idea that you have with, with stirred. It's just that involuntary, like Paul looked around and just, just all within him just couldn't handle it as he looked around. He knew what was right and what was wrong. So, yeah, that is the same stirring that happened within Paul's soul for the things of God. This is kind of unrelated here, but I thought it was kind of interesting. I was... As a kid, typically the, when you get older, you start looking back at things that are maybe things you shouldn't have smelled or tasted as a kid. And so I looked up Wikipedia on smelling stalts, and you're supposed to hold them four to six inches away, not directly underneath people's noses. So <laughs> um, they recommend not for people that have fainted out because it sometimes cause involuntary reflex and cause brain damage. So Kristen now has a reason for saying, 
there may be something up there. <laughs> All right, so let's move back to the text. If we continue reading at verse 17, we can see that Paul proceeded to go to the unsaved. If you go back through Acts 16, Paul would typically go to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. Um, for Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And after he had proclaimed the gospel to the Jews, he will continue to the Gentiles. Acts 17.2, And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three days Sabbath reasoned with them out of the scriptures. So when you say three Sabbaths, that's going to be three weeks. So he's, Paul is working with them for three weeks, laying out the gospel before them. Another interesting note here is Paul is using reason. As I've been going through a world religions class, we've kind of started in Jewish culture, and now we're just moving into Hinduism. And I'm thankful that we have a Christ, a God, that we can, we can wrap our heads around somewhat. There will always be things that we can't understand. Take the Trinity, for example. Explain that. It's really, really difficult. But we do have a reasonable God. Not only is Paul using reason, but he's actively targeting the Jews, the devout people, and basically anyone in the marketplace that would be willing to listen to him. So he's, he's, he's not just going to Jews. He is a true missionary, is what we would really see. So verses 15 and 16 show us that Paul had been stirred by God, and he's willing to step out in faith to proclaim the gospel. But how does he do that? In verse 18, Paul is encountering two types of philosophers. The first is the Epicureans, who believe that pleasure and not the pursuit of knowledge is the chief end of life. It's not that different than for today, right? We still have Epicureans. They don't call themselves that. Where the chief end is whatever, whatever you feel like. Live it up. It's still today. We, we still have this group of Epicureans today. On the complete opposite side, you got the Stoic philosophers who believe wisdom lay in being free from intense emotions, unmoved by joy or grief, willing submission to natural law, also known as facts don't care about your feelings. So you've got these two complete opposite. When both of the philosopher groups met Paul, there was a mixed reaction. But ultimately, there seemed to be an idea that Paul was claiming a demonic worship because he was proclaiming who Jesus was and how he was raised from the dead. So as the, as the Gentiles, these philosopher groups looked at him, they said, you're preaching about a guy that is raised from the dead. That's demonic, and, which is a complete contradiction in my mind as you're also worshiping idols. But they had that as a belief. So in verse 19, they do take him by force and brought him to the Areopagus, which was essentially a judicial body similar to the Supreme Court that met on what we typically hear of as Mars Hill. Notice throughout all these verses, there is no mention of Paul going away to study. It's, it's, it's not in there. It may have happened. He was prepared by God, but I just thought it was interesting. He, you're not really seeing a time of him preparing. He had, he had already been equipped at this point. I guess my point is saying that as we step out in faith, 
and do God's work, God will equip us. I think that's something we need to remember. The Holy Spirit is within us believers. He, he will put words into our mouths to say. Once on Mars Hill, Paul is going to boldly proclaim the gospel once again to the leading thinkers of the day. So he's, he's dragged up to Mars Hill, and he's got an audience now. The, um, if you do a Google search of Mars Hill, it, it's a hill that's about 400 feet high. There's kind of a cliff on one side, and it's got a whole bunch of rocks kind of in different areas. And that's kind of where they would have, in theory, had all their gods in different areas. In Acts 17.23, Paul reminds them of the unknown God, God altar. So that would be, For as I passed by and beheld your devotion, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship him, I declare unto you. The Athenians were so terrified of missing a god that they'd create an altar to the unknown god. Is that any different today? You still have that today, right? We like to think that it's only the unsaved that have that. But what altars have we set up in our own lives? Maybe it's our job. Maybe it's our technology on our phone. It can be a whole bunch of different things. But Paul is pointing this out, that they're worshiping something they don't know about. We have something. We, we know who the unknown God is, our Lord and Savior. So Paul confirmed their fear. Actually, he, didn't, he didn't go away and say, no, there's not a God. He said, no, there, there is a God. You're missing one. He's, he's kind of playing on that a little bit. In Acts 17, 24 to 25, he does demonstrate that God created the world and all that was in it. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. Another commentary that I was reading as preparation was talking about how missionaries, a lot of times when they go into an area, the first thing they have to do is they have to kind of plant a flag of creation. They have to set that as God created man and defend that because that's, that's, that's where, where it's all built on. As we look at creation even today, it's still being attacked. It's nothing new. It's still being attacked today. Acts 17, 26 to 28, he demonstrates that God created man. Paul describes the first human Adam and God's intent for man to live in communion with him. And all this notice that Paul is laying the groundwork for why the Athenians need Christ. In every point, he's, he's noticing that, hey, we're more than a rotting corpse. But they would have also recognized the Olympics, which would have been in Greece. They knew what a man was capable of at that time. They knew it. In Acts 17, 29, For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is likened to gold or silver or stone graven by man and man's devices. Once again, Paul is just laying out, God has created you, and what does all, this, all these idols do? They're made by you. That's, that's, it's, it doesn't make any sense. And then Paul wraps up his message in Acts 17, 30 to 31. In the time of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness 
by that man whom he has ordained, Jesus Christ, whereof he has given assurance unto all men, and that he has raised him from the dead. So once again, Paul is not running from this idea that, that Jesus has been raised. He, he brings us back up. I guess this would be a really good point. Just, I would assume most people are saved here. But if you haven't made that certain, that you know where you will be, if Jesus was to come today, I would just ask that come to me or many of the older Christians here and, and just find that out. Make that right tonight. What a testimony Paul was able to give for his Savior and Lord. But was he successful? Acts 17, 32 to 34. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, We were healed of the again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them, howbeit certain men clave unto him, and believed, among which was Dionysus, the Aragite, and a woman named Amaris, and others with them. If we go into verse 32, there are multiple reactions. You've got that, that mocking. Some of the philosophers mocked Paul for believing in the resurrection of the dead. I think we have to remember that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 25-27, it says, Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than man. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. The second reaction you got is listening ears. Some wanted to know more. We still have that today. And then others joined with Paul and believed, including one of the leaders of the Areopagite. Paul continued on preaching the gospel. This isn't the, this is the end of Paul's missionary trip. He continued on through several other areas, ultimately coming back into Jerusalem for a, another report. 1 Corinthians 3, 6-9 I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are labors together with God, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. So we can see the example of Paul. But was that example for Paul only? Or what should I model my ex ex expectations of Jesus before the world. I'd like to make the case that most of you are aware, but we are to go to the unsaved. I am thankful that Pastor has the sign as we leave the charge park that you're going on the mission field. Paul believed that as well. Each one of us has influence in our part of the world. You've got construction workers. Find a way to open those conversations up. If you're in business, sometimes you're not able to converse with others, but maybe you're able to care for them. If they're going through a hardship, talk to them about that. Sometimes business is very lonely. It's, it's kind of weird. If you're a mother, remember that many times you are the first person your child sees Jesus Christ in. How, are, how you care for your children and speak with your children. If you're a child tonight that goes to a public or private school, 
Learn to speak up for the things of God. And be willing to say no when your friends are doing things that, are, that you know are against God. If your children that are homeschooled, then remember that you're influencing your brothers and your sisters and how you, exa- how you live out your life as an example for them on obeying your mother and father. I guess my point is saying is each one of us can reach someone that pastor cannot. We like to, we like to put pastor on this, this pedestal of that's the example. It's not. He is an example. He is not the example. And there's going to be many people that we can reach, and he can't. From Eaton down to Cincinnati, I mean, you name it. The second point I'd like to make is be ready to give your testimony. I don't know about you, but I've been really thankful for Pastor that he has a focus on prayer this year. But he's, he's also backed that up with some, um, I don't know, meetings, I guess, on how to share your gospel. I didn't see much of that as a kid. That's been very, very helpful. But am I ready? Have I wrote down my testimony? So when I go up to someone that you may not be able to reach, but God has maybe brought them to me, am I prepared? Am I like Paul? Am I prepared to sit down in front of them and say, hey, this is, this is what God saved me from. Maybe it wasn't drugs and a bunch of other things, but maybe it's a hypocritical life or vice versa. We're all able to reach other people. The other thing I would say is if you haven't been able to be at some of these conferences that do talk about sharing your testimony, don't worry. Um, I forget what the pamphlet's called, but it's for sharing and writing down your testimony and then recording it. And what I did is I, I went through that pamphlet and wrote down my testimony, and that was extremely helpful. And that's something I think they have out here still. You don't have to record that video. So if that's what's holding you up, don't worry about the video. Sit down, write your testimony. Children, I would really encourage you to do this, especially those that have been saved younger. Make sure to, to write that memory down so you have it for your children. I would also want to give you, your children a little secret. Do you know sometimes your parents can't remember your name? You guys are all going to get there at some point. You're going to forget things. <laughs> so write down your story. Parents, write down the story because you, you know you're going to forget things. Those older ones that are older than me, I, I know that's even worse for you guys. I mean, it's, it's, we are humans. We, we forget things. So let's write this down. <laughs> Whew, that was a fine line. All right. <laughs> In conclusion, I hope that this message has been helpful as we look at Paul's response to his Lord and Savior. I was just really thankful for Caleb's message this morning on our role in casting out the net. And I would just simply encourage you to stay faithful to God in prayer. And if we keep our focus on him and listen to the Holy Spirit in our lives, I believe we will have a burden for the unsaved. We will be ready to proclaim Christ and we will sing his praise when whether it's one soul that's saved or a thousand. So let's close in prayer here. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for opening your word tonight. Thank you for the example of Paul. Sometimes we look at his life and go, man, I don't know how I can even compare to that. When I'm working in an office or on a construction site, how, how? that just, it's on another level. 
But I just ask that you show us where we can grow in this, this matter of having a burden. Help us to, to look around, and not as a all poor thing, but help us to look at how you would see them. Help us to know how to come along beside them and say, hey, this is my Jesus, this is my Savior. Let me show them to you. And help us to have a harvest that is huge this coming year. As, as we're preparing our hearts as we're preparing in our finances in all these areas, just help us. I would just ask that you close your eyes and ask that you just take a few moments with God. I would also ask that if you've never shared your testimony with your children, just do that. They need to know your story. It's important. If you don't have children here tonight, find time with your grandchildren. Take one of my children out to lunch or something. Share your story. It's important. Father, just thank you for being with us this evening. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for saving us from our sins and dying on the cross so that we will have eternal life with you. And I just ask that you prepare us as we go out on this mission field this week. We have a mission field right in our backyard. Help us to not turn away from it, but help us to go full blast into that and share your gospel. And I pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that message, Brother Grant. Very practical. Sharing your testimony. A lot of times we make it too hard. We like to overcomplicate it, make it difficult. But it's a lot of power in just telling people what Jesus has done for you and being a testimony. Thank you very much for that, Brother Grant. Um, we just have a few announcements before we leave. Remember the offering. Keep praying for that this week. Pray, ask God what he would have you to do. Uh, be a part of the offering for next week. And then continue after that to trust God enough to give. Um, April 9th is our work day, 8 a.m. Breakfast provided. Could use some men to help. And if you men want to get together with Brother Frank before then to help with this flooring, that would be appreciated as well. There's no, uh, there's no harm in getting a head start. And then Easter Sunday, uh, with the baptism that day as well. So if you're interested in that, have questions about that, see a pastor. And then uh, do be inviting people uh, for Easter Sunday. Uh, but it's been good to be in God's house. It's good to see all of you. Thank you for being here. 
Um, see you Wednesday. You're dismissed. <laughs>